Coming up on Mountain Hermeneutics, just when you thought we were done with Enoch, we got a little bit more. So go ahead and keep it right here. You're listening to Mount Hermeneutics, where three Marines give their perspective on God, faith, and spirituality with a heavy lean on the Divine Council worldview. This is not your grandma's Sunday school, nor is it always for the Christian faint of heart. Nothing about who we are or what we say make us experts, but you better believe we'll have a take, and perhaps it won't suck. Are you left-handed? Uh, I am permanently now but uh oh <laughs> uh, sorry matt you ignorant slut yes i'm quite proud of myself if you can't tell <laughs> what's happening fellas hey dre just uh weather in the uh winter i love just it. got yeah. here I'm so it's happy. a 38 degrees in san diego are people I, uh, dying i mean people just didn't go outside you know yeah. i had to find like a hoodie and a jacket <laughs> like right <laughs> so i was like whoa 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 i can't just walk outside all willy-nilly and bare arms you gotta gotta put on a put on a little a thick i gotta i gotta swag it so it's a combo sweater jacket with a hood and keeps me warm enough as i walk rocky and apollo yeah aptly named <laughs> so yeah um, i feel like you should be in a black leather jacket when you walk rocky and apollo with a with a racquetball bouncing it as I yeah. as I walk along yeah. with a with Just a bounce it off walls randomly with and stuff. And you need a gold small necklace. Fedora. Yeah. <laughs> hey yo. Maybe, maybe with a, a a female robot in tow. <laughs> Happy birthday, Polly. It's creepy. It talks that thing. So uh what was the week that was? Let's see. So last night, yesterday, uh dear friend of mine who I've I've known for I mean, since I was 16 years old, so it's well over 30 years. Uh, um, uh, Michael, it was his 50th birthday, and uh, he had no idea that people were showing up to his house. That's awesome. So <laughs> it was it was very cool. His wife, who who he's only been married to for not not very long, um, and uh, I'd never met her before, but she reached out and sent a text saying, "Hey, it's Michael's birthday. We're trying to." trying to do something for him and awesome. um, and since i love him and his entire family like that was it was pretty cool got him a got him a bottle of whiskey 121 proof um you know was it 60 percent no it was fun he made a couple of cocktails with it that uh that felt pretty good uh, i'll say that do i remember <laughs> and, uh, right is this is this dr poost is that yes uh, it's uh, right that right guy's hey mike happy birthday buddy like a dude that uh if he had a call sign it would probably be the dude with his, his long flowing white hair and tall and you know larger stature guy it was, it, it was a good time so another friend that i hadn't seen you know in forever that i went to high school with was also there of course you know his sisters his mom so met his wife and, and you know his new daughters and what a, a good time we had by all i feel blessed to be part of your 50th uh celebration so thanks for letting me part, be part of that mike thanks brother um also, uh, just a way of announcement. Um, uh, remember, drum roll, a, a few, drum roll. A few few weeks back, uh, young Briar, we interviewed her, right? So her book has been published. And if you can see that right there, um, the death uh, of a whore. Death of a whore. Yes. Yeah, so, so if you remember in in the uh, 
in the interview she had talked about celibacy and and like her road back to that and yeah so these are is a collection of poems that she wrote um on the 28th uh, if you are in Oceanside, California, at Camp Coffee in downtown Oceanside, she'll be having a a book signing slash you know some selections that she'll be reading and just kind of a, a she launch have a, party. Is there an book. invite or like a Facebook announcement or something we could put in the in the link? Uh, yes, there's there's a there's a couple of things that we will okay. we'll link it. Also, I'll link the Amazon uh, link to the, the to the to the book sales. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, as of as of this recording, the link's not out yet, but by the time the you know, this episode releases. Right Lot, lots going on in, uh, in the world of yeah. the, of, of the bibs. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, you can get at me, super Dre, Instagram, Brian, what's up, man? Hey, Dre. I don't have as much going on as you guys do. Right. Um, I can't think I, I feel like I did something, but once again, I, nothing really, it's nothing, nothing's that exciting, but, uh, I'm at the third helix.com where there's nothing going on. We're uh, <laughs> not. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I'm no, sorry, I'm everyone. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, dis- <laughs> I'm as, I, I'm, I'm as disappointed in myself as you all are. So, what's going on, man? With the rent. Well, so I, I had been complaining about my arm. I went and had the MRI, uh, and uh, the doctor came back and said no surgery. So, I have mixed feelings on that. Part of me kind of just wishes I could have the surgery, so then I know I'm good. Um, instead they're doing the three months of physical therapy. So I'll start that next week. We'll see what happens. Um, I don't, I'm not highly optimistic that it's going to fix it, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Hopefully the, uh, the fine folks at the physical therapy place can get me hooked up. So we'll see what, what goes on there. Um, other than that, I mean, Brian, Brian and I are living in a little bit of a winter wonderland here in Oklahoma right now. So today is the 15th of January. And most of the state of Oklahoma, North Texas, is in single-digit temperature. And that's Fahrenheit single-digit for those of our European listeners. Um, so that's quite cold. Um, I think that would put it somewhere around negative 15, negative 20 Celsius. Um, mm. So it's it's chilly out. Uh, I dig it. I'm a big fan. Uh, Oklahomans are even funny about it because, like, in the social medias, everybody's like, hey, it's I can't wait till summer. I can't wait till we're at the beach. And I'm like, you shut up because I hate every bit of the summer. I hate all the bugs. I hate all the humidity. Um, right now it's nice out. And like, I go outside and have to run an errand. There's nobody out because everybody thinks they're dying because it's so cold outside. And I love it. I have, it's like, I have the world to myself. It's like a zombie apocalypse without the zombies. It's great. So that's about it. Um, I prefer uh, winter to summer for just, you know, I like the cold better, but I have a, uh, every, the past two years I've had a pipe burst somewhere in my house and i i have right. one i have one frozen now and i'm just I'm... i mean my 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 uh washing machine drain froze right so carrie was doing laundry earlier and it backed up because the drain is just an exposed pipe and it had cold water in it but i mean it's no big deal had to mop up some water and run some hot water down and it sipped up and mm-hmm. we're all we're back cooking you know my pool's even... got about a solid inch of ice on top of it, except the side where the jets are hitting the water. Because I leave my pool open all year. You go ice skating. You mean you pretty much could? It's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty cold out. But so I don't I know what you guys I... talk about. I live in San Diego, and it's uh, all year round. Doesn't suck. Yeah. So yeah. I, don't... I bet. Say, I bet the homeless in San Diego think it sucks pretty bad right now. If it's down in the well, 30s. you know what? They, they can... should go get a house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
but e- but even still, like it, it, if it's you know, the coldest is thirty eight. That's a low, right in the middle of the night. Yeah. You know, well, you could, you could, I don't think there's anybody bag. on planet Earth that's going to argue that that San Diego's got some of the best weather. I mean, yeah, that's sure. that's literally what San San Diego has the most awesome weather in the, at a beach. Like, I was just at, I was at San Clemente this morning on the pier. You know, it was a little chilly, so I had a little mm-hmm. you know a little little light jacket, taking a little right. stroll. Right, and it was you know we have I had like a cup of hot chocolate. And I had to take my coat off. You know, right, it's, it's too damn yeah. hot. Yeah, no, yeah, good stuff. So, boys, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this Enoch ex- uh, adventure that we've been on for the last couple of days. Let's do it. Weeks. We'll we'll never be done with Enoch, but oh no, I'm sure I'm, I'll bring up much more. Got a lot of more. Got a lot but, of more. But for our series, yes, I think we're I think we're coming to a close. So, how do we want to jump into this? I I think we we kind of went through we touched on the books. We didn't really dive into the content too too much. I think we just kind of hit it at a cursory level. We talked about the fact that it's not canon. We argued about whether it should or shouldn't be, about why it was or wasn't in, about whether he was a prophet or not, whether or not the books were inspired. We talked about a lot of things. If anybody wants to go catch up on those, jump back through uh, the last couple of episodes. So we thought it would make sense. At least this is how we left it on the last episode. We thought it would make sense to talk about kind of the the actual things we do know about the book itself, about it being lost, being recovered, and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the intent here. Brian, did you want to get us started, or Dre, you want to tell tell us about like like when did we lose it? So if it was written in the the intertestimonial period, did I say that word right again? In- intertestamental. Testamental. Okay. Yeah. So we we do we lose it during that period or when did it disappear? That's probably the starting question. I don't. It didn't really disappear. I would say it 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 kind of fell from use and interest. And I think this was. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to ask an actual scholar. So take all this with a grain of salt. Just my own my own reading of it. Um, when. You know, Christianity started out, it was it was a sect of Judaism. In fact, the first major controversy within the church was whether Gentiles had to convert to Judaism in order to be Christians. Um, that's how much a sect of Judaism it was. After the fall of Jerusalem and the uh, the Jerusalem church's flight to Pella to escape the, the, the coming destruction, that was kind of the last split between Christians and Jews and how Christianity was its own thing. And you, and if you read like early church fathers literature, like, uh, like the Didache, uh, which probably that that's the earliest non new Testament Christian writing. It's like a manual for worship. And it, uh, there's, it's good stuff, by the way. So. By the yeah, way, that word, one of my favorites, if, if anybody comes across <clears throat> that word, it looks like it's pronounced didachia. Um, so right. it's a really odd look. It looks like a dinosaur. That's what the word looks like. Um, versus uh, a Christian book, but that's the the Didache that Brian's yeah, referencing. Spelled D I D A C H E, uh, which just means teaching. But there's there's this there's this weird little section where they're talking about which two on which two days of the week Christians should be fasting, um, which is a whole other discussion um, worth having at some point. Um, not whether a Christian should fast two days of the week, which particular two days should they fast, but there, part of the consideration was, would the Jews fast on these two days? So we can't do that because we're not, we don't want to be like the Jews. 
And that's <laughs> that's kind of a sample of sort of the attitude that crept into early Christian. Who does? Writings. <laughs> These days. <Yeah. laughs> um, but there was this and and the Jews were, of course, pretty, you know, they had a lot of antipathy toward Christians. And so, you know, Christians and Jews were just kind of disavowing each other. And there's this sort of attitude of hostility. And I think I think the kind of jettisoning of the Book of Enoch was was part of that. I don't think it was ever like a. There was never like a big event or controversy where they they debated they debated it in councils and declared you a heretic if you regarded it as regarded it as canonical it just sort of fell out of use and i think as their attention shifted to more uh kind of a greek philosophy leaning approach to christianity it just it just kind of disappeared um just from just from lack of interest just you know just like a you know, books that people don't read anymore, they fall out of publication and it's not because anybody got together and burned it. That's interesting. Uh, um, I, think, I think that if it, if it was entered into canon, it wouldn't have though. Of course not. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't think that, I think that's pretty. Because, because it, all, all these books have fallen out of circulation because they're not part of uh, right. scare quotes, holy scripture. Right. Right, so. S speaking of Dre, your 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 little throwaway joke about Jews, real quick derailment. <laughs> we didn't talk about anything pop culture or new goings on. Do you guys are you guys seeing this thing with these Hasidic Jews and the tunneling that's going on in New York? Yeah, quickly. I don't I don't know a lot about it. I I just I, I keep hearing it and I keep meaning to look into it. And so I, there I'm was a not. so the first time I heard about it, there was a there was a tweet by some guy, and he's like. Guys, something weird's going on. There are Jews tunneling under my apartment. And to be clear, there's no basement under me. I'm on the ground floor. And he's like, but I hear Hasid I hear I hear Hebrew being spoken and I hear scratching noises. <laughs> and then people are calling him crazy and he's being gaslit, right? And then this comes out that there's these illegal tunnels being dug, and he quotes it in his in the in the tweet thread and he goes you people owe me an apology <laughs> yeah i think it's it's not it's i wouldn't characterize them as jewish tunnels i think they're teenagers digging tunnels and they just happen to be jew Jews. Um, i don't think it's the video a... i saw was a was a quite mature older man because he had a beard down to like here huh. and like this guy's videoing and there was like a grate that was kind of like broken and you see some movement. You're like, what the hell's going on? And all of a sudden, a dude pops out, and he's in, like, Hasidic garb. He's not in, like, construction clothes or anything, right? He's, like, he's not in blue jeans and, like, work boots. He's in, like, a black, I don't know what they're called, like, the cloak or whatever, like, the robe kind of deal. Sure. And he's got his hat on and his big beard. He runs off. He, like, looks at the guy and kind of and just runs off. And you're like, what in the world? And apparently, How long was... have they been there? Like, how long... You were talking about Jew tunnels in New York, and, right. uh, <laughs> but, yeah. and I was saying and they're teenager tunnels. Some but. of the excuse was like somebody, some group of 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 the Jews were like banned from going to some certain place, and so their answer was to build a tunnel to get there, and because they weren't allowed to like walk. I I don't know what's going on. I mean, I, I'm so far removed from anything going on in New York. If you've got any New York listeners, tell us what the heck's going on because you guys probably actually have an idea of it if you're there and it's you know live and in living color but it's it, it's strange 
I read an article about it and I kind of lost interest after that. The the article said it was some 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 Jewish teenage boys. Yeah, just, that's that's uh, what they said about the aliens in Miami also, Brian. And you're just going to accept that it was teenagers this time? Um, or was it Nephilim? Nephilim were digging the tunnels in New York? Or no, they were running about... around the mall in oh, Miami. Right. Yeah, I, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, a part of me wonders if like they're not they're not just looking at like the Jews digging the tunnels. They're not looking at history and remembering all the times like the the local populace decided to have a pogrom and uh, they decided they wanted a, an escape route, um, which would be sensible to do. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but, but yeah, it, but it, it was just it was weird timing with it. Where's your with permit everything. for that? Okay, this, this is <laughs> right. New York City, you know. But with all the stuff going on in the Middle East and whatever, I didn't know if maybe there was some kind of like you know they were creating like you know safe passageways or something so they could get to and from. I don't know, I just, but it just seems it, weird. It would be smart to do. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not like we've you know humanity has outgrown. Uh, persecuting jews we thought we did for a minute there but then october 7th and we drug it then, then we they thought they were out and we drug them right back in yeah yeah i thought i was out and you back in pull you <laughs> pull you right into this but no what you're saying about enoch makes sense brian i mean i think you know because but i think of it was the like the, that... the fifth century or so that it kind of really fell out yeah, that's when we kind of didn't notice anymore. So, so we, you know, whenever printing, it's not like they had printing presses and you know PDF copies of it to pass around, right? It's a whole lot harder for a book to disappear today um, because of the the proliferation and and storage and distribution and dissemination and all the other fancy words that are logistically based, right? That have to do with how information's passed around. We, they had none of that back then, right? So it was more about if somebody was interested and they asked for a copy, somebody would spend the hundreds of man hours to make the copy to pass it on, right? And then you either paid for it or there was trade or some kind of commerce exchange that happened. And if people weren't interested, they weren't going to do that. I guess the question is, I'm I'm more intrigued to why. And I don't know that we have an answer to that, but it's just, it's it poses an interesting, you know, if it was important enough to be referenced in the Bible by other early Bible authors, um, why then? And even suddenly... church fathers too, such as Origen and Justin Martyr. It, even uh, what was his name? I just came across today. It was uh, the guy that wrote uh, the Against Heresies. Irenaeus. Athanasius. Yeah. Or Irenaeus. Oh, Irenaeus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He mentions Enoch in that, right? <clears throat> um, and it's again, He's a... oh, it's a he's weird, a dick, so, uh, it's a weird throwaway because he's like, you know, because Enoch and Elijah and they they went to heaven, and then he talks about Elijah, a whole. he just like throws Enoch in. Enoch gets mentioned twice in the whole book, and in that so, chapter he says Elijah like five times. So does he mention Enoch the the biblical figure, or does he mention the book of Enoch the biblical figure? Okay, and he it's um, it, the reference is simply to to being to ascending. Right. So he um, basically he was like, "Do you guys forget that Enoch and Elijah ascended?" And then apparently there was some there was some uh, open theory that Elijah didn't ascend that he got put in a chariot of fire, went up in the sky, and burned to death because apparent because that's what Irenaeus addresses in his book. 
He goes, if you hmm. think he burned up, then you're an idiot. I'm paraphrasing. He doesn't say that specifically. <laughs> well, he, he said a lot of stuff like that. You're an idiot. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah, like, he, why would it, you think there's, there's a, more than four gospels? There's only four scathing. directions. Yeah. That dude, that dude wrote, he wrote angry for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've read Irenaeus, but, uh, well, you should but, give it, you um, crack it open. But in against heresies, I mean, it's, uh, you know, they were usually, they were usually pretty, pretty, you know, short and cranky when they were writing against heresies. Like they were, they were mad about it, but, um, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, just, but the Jews didn't consider it canonical. Um, you know, Jesus never, when Jesus referenced the law and the prophets, he didn't say the law, of the prophets and Enoch. Um, like it. Say that again. What do you mean? Well, you have Jesus throughout the Gospels referencing the Hebrew Scriptures and affirming them. Mm-hmm. Um, he he apparently approved of the canon as it was when he mentioned, like when he when he talks about the law, the prophets, and the writings. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know the parts I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we call the Old Testament. It's mm-hmm. it it's uh, it it's the Torah, Ketuvim, and Naveen, which stands for Tanakh, which is the right. The, the Hebrew scriptures that we call the Old Testament. Um, like he apparently a, a, agreed with the canon as it stood, which didn't include first Enoch. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, I, I don't know that it's terribly surprising that they didn't consider it canon in the early church because it wasn't considered canon by the Jews. Um, which doesn't, exp- I mean, that would explain some of their lack of interest. Um, so it, I don't, I don't find it that inscrutable that they, they did, they didn't hold on to it, but um, I, I mean, I, know, guess, I wish they I, would. I guess, but... I guess my, my, my question or my curiosity goes back to kind of what we talked about last episode a little bit, but it's more of just this guy that's, you know, even in this book by Irenaeus, right? Like, he's mentioning Elijah and Enoch in the same, in the same breath. So like if the guy's in that level of interest and we've talked about before, he's, he's in that other, I, I forget the verse, but he's kind of on the, the Mount Rushmore of, of prophets. And I'm, I'm using the word prophet loosely. I, I understand what you just said. Of course, I'd also argue that the book of Enoch not being inspired and or canonical doesn't mean a lot that Enoch himself wasn't a prophet. It just means we don't have his writings. Right. Like that's right. a totally different thing. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to rehash the same no. argument we had last week, but it just, it kind of re it kind of reiterates a point that I made was that when, when Enoch is mentioned as a, as a, as a figure, as a biblical figure in the new Testament, like in in Hebrews uh, chapter eleven, um, it, it doesn't mention any of the stuff that you find in the book of Enoch. Only the stuff that you find in Genesis five, which would suggest that mm-hmm. the writer of Hebrews did not regard first Enoch to be canonical. And so when when Irenaeus mentions Enoch, the biblical figure, he mentions only what you find in the book of Genesis. So, I, I, so actually, I'm going to disagree with that. The, the last thing okay. you said, because if you read, and I'm, I'm just going to read this real quick. It's one, one paragraph. So this is chapter five and against heresies, um, verse one. Okay. Um, 
so, and what he's talking about to give without to give context, he apparently there was some discussion that people didn't really live to be seven, eight hundred, nine hundred years old. So there must have been some discussion back then that that was metaphorical speech, not literal. And Irenaeus was being very pointed that it was literal. And that's the purpose of what he's writing right here. Okay. I sound like a pastor doing that. Um, right. in, in order by, to By learn... the way, just for Corey listening, we just we just kind of ran past a couple of topics that you specifically Okay, asked let me about say this real quickly. The, we can circle back to comments. I just want to like I, I know she's probably pulling her hair out mad at us because we Sorry, haven't answered Corey. her questions. Give, yet. give us give us a second. Bear with us. You know who but, we are by now. But but we are. Yeah. You you know who we are. So the the verse says, in order to learn that bodies did continue in existence for a lengthened period as God, as long as it was God's good pleasure that they should flourish, let these heretics read the scriptures and they will find that our predecessors advanced beyond 700, 800, and 900 years of age, and that their bodies kept pace with the protracted length of their days and participated in life as long as God willed that they should live. But why do I refer to these men? For Enoch, when he pleased God, was translated in the same body in which he did please him, thus pointing out by anticipation the translation of the just. Okay. Then he says, Elijah too was caught up when he was yet in the substance of the natural form, thus exhibiting in prophecy the assumption of those who are spiritual and that nothing stood in the way of their body being translated and caught up. For by means of the very same hands through which they were molded at the beginning, did they receive his, this translation and assumption. So I have to interpret a little bit of the language because it's weird, right? What the heck does translation mean? I think he's talking about metamorphosis or apotheosis or some kind of ascension. That's what that's what he means by translation. I'm not entirely clear, and it's not a translated version. This this book hasn't had nearly the attention that the Bible has had from a, you know, uh, modifying and modernizing the language. But the reason I was pushing back, Brian, what I'm what I read in this little bit is I sense that Irenaeus is writing this with a specific purposeful slant. He's mentioning the two, and then he's making a really strong he's making a really strong point to, to make Enoch just be a guy who pleased God, but Elijah was a prophet. Like I I'm I I I'm 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 pulling that intent out of the way that Irenaeus is writing this, which leads me to believe that there was still a certain amount of argument, maybe from the heretics, about who or what Enoch was or wasn't, which might have something to do with his book. And I, again, I'm just, that's a supposition. That's that's me doing some, some eisegesis based on what I'm reading in this, in this chapter, right? By a book from one of the, you know, church fathers. But anyway, that's which, my, that's my, where, point. where in the book is that? Um, I, I page one ten out of one eighty seven on this PDF that I pulled offline. Did, um, did, did it, it says give you the? It says it's chapter five of which book? Verse one. Uh, a Roman roads e text. Um, I'm looking. I'm scrolling. It doesn't have like. I don't know. Because there are five books of against heresies. So Yeah, it's pretty it's it's pretty long. Yeah. Well, it's, about it's, right, it's right about okay. halfway. I don't know. I think, I don't... Okay. I think I found it. Um it's in book five, chapter five. Um in fact this PDF starts at book three. 
Uh, page four is book three, preface. So I'm on this uh, website, israelahistoryof.com, mm -hmm. and they're talking about the Book of Enoch and how yeah. it... Uh, uh, the Book of Enoch, for the most part, was lost after the 5th century AD. It is widely agreed St. John Cassian was the last of the early church fathers to quote extensively from the book. And then after he died in 435 AD, you know, it was just some brief references in the 8th and 9th centuries. And the book has really hasn't been seen until, until the 17th century. So it was well, that, that kind of says that makes it sound like they were quoting from it a lot. And then it just yes. kind of stopped with that 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 guy, and then it no one knows why. That's that's he, he's like the last guy to quote from it extensively. Mm -hmm. So in four by four thirty five, no nobody did it anymore. Um, yeah, and I'm not. I, I'm less interested in why it was why it fell out of use than what it means that we've rediscovered it. I think that's a okay, that's lot fair. more what interesting do you conversation. What, um, hang on before you before. What was Corey's questions that we needed to right. get to or something? Let's do that. Let's be let's be fair. Yeah, I was uh okay. So Corey, uh thanks for thanks for listening and for commenting. Um you asked if people don't go to heaven, where did Enoch and Elijah go when God took them? Um they went to heaven. Um yeah, I think so too. That's that's the that's it's the a very the, short answer. Roll credits, yeah. but but they didn't die and go to heaven, right? So, right. and I yeah. think that's the distinction. That's, right, that could be that could be a, that could be the difference is they didn't die. That's why God snatched them up. Yeah, you can't the, go to heaven if the, you're dead. Yeah, and the, they yeah the the scripture is pretty clear that they well e, Genesis five says that Enoch walked with God and then he was no more for God took him and that's all that's that's typically understood to be. Yeah he was taken alive into heaven yeah. and then elijah where it, it legit says that he was taken up in a whirlwind um mm -hmm. into heaven and so um so yeah enoch and elijah be they're clearly exceptions um and this is uh, she's asking in response to our our usual contention that uh or at least my contention i think you guys i'm pretty sure you guys agree with me on this but uh that the Bible doesn't teach that people die and go to heaven as disembodied spirits, the entire point of the Bible. And this actually plays into what we're going to, what I'm going to talk about, um, about the rediscovery of Enoch, but you know, the, 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 you know, standard Christian, if you walk up to anybody on the street and ask them, well, what is, what, what's Christianity? What's the, what's the goal of the religion? Oh, you believe in Jesus. And so you got to, you go to heaven when you die instead of hell um, as a, well, how do you go to heaven? Oh, your well, your spirit or your soul goes up. Um, well, that's not taught in the Bible anywhere. The Bible mm -hmm. teaches physical bodily resurrection to eternal life on this earth, renewed and restored. Um, Elijah and, and Enoch being taken alive into heaven is clearly an exception to that, and it's and it's temporary. The the assumption is they're gonna they're gonna come back with Jesus when he when he comes to reign on the earth and raises all of the saints who will you, join you think, in. Do you think maybe that's why people were <clears throat> chanting Elijah when Christ was on the cross? Yeah. Because they um, they, they but, had that same belief system that you just said, and they were expecting to see Elijah coming from heaven because they knew he was going to come back at some point. Yeah. The prophet Malachi explicitly says that the, that the prophet Elijah will return before the, the day of the Lord. Um, now, 
John the Baptist, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the Elijah who was to come. Um, but it, I don't know that I don't know that he means that in the absolute sense that he's that he is identical to Elijah or that he he his role in Israel was comparable to that of Elijah. And we've we've talked before about how prophecy often has an immediate fulfillment and an ultimate fulfillment. Um, what what you what might be described as partial preterism Um like the like a lot of the messianic prophecies about the, the prophecies about the messiah if you if you read them in context they uh, the prediction is apparently that the messiah will be the one who regathers the exiles and rebuilds the temple but then the bible and the the old testament ends with the israel with the judeans going back to jerusalem and rebuilding the temple but if but if you read the prophets zechariah and haggai they're, it's they're they're very preoccupied with this with the the realization that they've they've come back from exile they've rebuilt the temple but this is not the messianic age there's still fulfillment they're still awaiting fulfillment of that so they still consider themselves to be in exile and so you and that's kind of a recurring pattern that you have in the bible of a prophecy kind of has a you know, an immediate fulfillment, but it's it's sort of a pattern setting the stage for the ultimate fulfillment. And that's kind of what I think Jesus meant when he said, John the Baptist is the Elijah who is to come. Um, if you read Malachi, Elijah is going to return. Um, it doesn't it doesn't say what happens with Enoch, but um no but respect. The He's the Rodney Dangerfield of of ascended people. I, that's that's the, i think that's the part that uh, has made me like borderline obsessed with the concept is how how he's you know this, everybody agrees he but was then... so amazing but he got no coverage and I, that's i think that's honestly what causes the you know my spidey senses to just but but you know who does not treat him like that the ethiopians so <laughs> right they love them because, because, because so they 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 claim that enoch is the very first dude to write letters so he's the first one to write stuff so they think that at least the opening of first enoch is an, a tradition that enoch actually wrote so whether or not somebody compiled that at whatever time fine but but the ethiopians believe that he is the first guy to write letters therefore he like he's before moses is before you know people that even wrote the the torah but is, ironically, you know. their version of Genesis six is the Sethite interpretation. So you've said that before. What? What's your? What's your? Where, where does that come from? What? Like, where does the Sethite interpretation come from? Or you know, saying where you that Ethiopia, the Ethiopians have the Sethite interpretation? Um, I'd have to dig it up because um, I, I struggled. I struggled to accept that on face value, right? Because having all the Enoch and the Jubilees in their Bible. And then not thinking that Genesis six is talking about angels seems absolutely upside down. Yeah, that's why that's why it was noteworthy. That's that's uh, what's uh I think um, what's what's kind of noteworthy about them believing that too is that <clears throat> he he speaks so apocalyptic. So he's the first guy to write, and he's writing to a remote audience that's not nowhere near us yet. So that's either Enoch is a you know, ridiculous at prophesying thousands of years away mm -hmm. or, or he didn't. Right. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. So, right. I, I'm not sure I follow your, 
I'm not sure what you're saying by that. Like, are so you? He 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 just talks about judgment and things right. that are going to be happening. He's speaking to a remote audience. He's not he's not talking to his contemporaries at that at that point. Yeah, and I I think I talked so about unless this. unless that's one of those it got fulfilled and then there's an ultimate fulfillment that Enoch maybe didn't even know. Yeah, and I, I think I I think I touched on this last week, but nothing in the book of Enoch about that is unique to Enoch. You find all the same content in the Bible that we have. It just kind of it yeah. like all the stuff about uh, the Messiah, the Son of Man coming to judge the nations and and judging between the the, the righteous and the wicked and uh, striking maybe, down the oppressors. Maybe those are updates from from Enochian I, thought, and yeah. this Enoch became obscure because. It doesn't mean that it was actually a later tradition. It just means that it was updated. It's not that it has anything new, but it certainly expands and does a good job of giving more flavor to it, right? Like so Ecclesiastes says Daniel, there's nothing new. Daniel, what? In Ecclesiastes, to say there's nothing will be new. Everything has already been done before. It's uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I was just going to say, like, you know, Daniel is considered to be one of the primary books on, you know, messianic prophecy, right? As far yeah. as, like, setting all that up. But Enoch talks, it got extra. There's more, there's more conversation on the messianic prophecy in the book of Enoch than there is in the book of Daniel. Well, yes and no. Um, yes, like, I know. He, it can't like, be both, dude. Well, well, what he does is he takes like the son of man imagery that you find in the, mm -hmm. Daniel, where which is where that originated for the Messiah, where he, this figure, the the one like a son of man who comes mm -hmm. in the who's in the presence of the Ancient of Days and is given authority over the nations, that comes from Daniel, and then his role as the 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 judge of nations who strikes down the wicked and rewards the righteous. And sets up God's kingdom on earth and this this age of paradise where the, uh, the nations are ruled with perfect justice and and the the glory of Yahweh covers the it's... huh hold okay. on a second <laughs> or maybe Daniel got it from Enoch. That's what I was about to say, so, Drake. I was about to say the same thing. Like we don't know that Daniel wasn't 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 referencing Enoch when he said all of those things. Well, no scholar on the planet thinks that that Daniel was written after Enoch. And um, no scholar thinks that there was Nephilim either, but, you know. Well, but, I mean, you guys are so <laughs> married to this idea of it being canonical that... No, like, I'm no. Not, this, isn't about, this no. isn't about it being canonical. This is about, we don't know when <clears throat> book one was written, or the, the book of the Watchers was Sorry. written. We don't know uh, when, we don't know when, or the when that tradition was, was created. Right. Just for the, just... I'm using my phone as the the camera, and somebody just tried to call me. Is that what that was? Yeah, and it knocked out. And we got a cat. camera. I don't oh, know you're why. Back. No, I've you're never you're seen that happen before. You're but, good. Now. Uh, yeah. So, um, hope that wasn't an emergency. But um, do you do you want to uh, pause and go answer it? No, podcast okay. comes first, man. Right on. I like podcast it. comes first. I almost um, spit my BCA. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> But, but um but look i mean all i'm saying is is it, canon or not it doesn't matter right we, we don't know when the first instance of the book of parables was being conveyed right we don't know at what date that was happening so it's it's just as plausible as it is implausible that daniel was referencing that 
when he said what he said. That doesn't mean that what he said wasn't inspired. It's maybe that that was the inspiration that was needed well, was for him to take something that Enoch had said or somebody supposed that Enoch said <laughs> and Daniel validated it because he was a prophet. Like that's that. that yeah, that, but you're, you're no scholar thinks that that that. Yep. That but Enoch only, was written first, but if only you, Jew and Christian scholars believe that Daniel was written at that time either, or that sure. any of the stuff that was written but, was but, at that time and not compiled later. But that's my point. Even even like non-believing scholars who don't have a theological dog in the hunt, or so they so they would claim, would play would would acknowledge that Daniel predates Enoch. And and they don't what, have I mean, that because would, they don't believe in prophecy. <laughs> Sure, but like there's there's no there's no evidence that would suggest that Enoch preceded Daniel is what I'm saying. Like no okay. no nobody thinks that. It's just and but and if you in reading the book of Enoch, it's it as I was saying before, it's everything in it, every feature of Enoch from the from the book of parables about the son of man and the messianic age, you find that earlier in the Bible. And this kind of plays into what I was like. This kind of plays into the the point I was making before about the uh, the impact on history of the the loss of the Book of Enoch. There's really nothing in the Book of Enoch that that you need for the gospel, but its rediscovery and just having rediscovered it and seeing how how much of its background informed the writing of the, of the New Testament and the the culture of of Jesus's time, it's kind of a good marker for how far off church tradition has drifted from the the true biblical narrative. What do you like mean? We, well, we, you know, as time went on, there was a lot of uh, Greco-Roman Gnostic ideas crept into church thinking, particularly this idea about this strict duality between spirit and matter, which is where you get the idea of. Uh, you know, pagan mythology is rife with stories about disembodied spirits going to an afterlife, uh, going going into Hades or going to Elysium. Or if you're like a really like righteous, heroic dude, you might get you might be apoth apotheosized, like you become a god and you go up to Olympus like Hercules and Perseus mm -hmm. did. Um, or George Washington. Or George Washington. Um, but you don't find that in, in the Bible, but that's, that's, we kind of think of that as synonymous with Christianity. Um, Except Enoch but, and Elijah. Well, but, but they, but they, they, they went they, in bodily form though. That's they didn't die and their spirits go there. Right. Um, but, and, and you, there, a pretty good marker of, of this is when you were the fourth century uh, church historian, Eusebius of uh, Caesarea, um, He's writing about Papias of Herapolis, who was a, a bishop in the, the the early second century. He's one of the last uh, – he, he claims to have met uh, – a lot of our early information about who wrote the Gospels um, and the, the fate of the apostles comes from him, and it's it's regarded as traditional, but there's, there's, there's arguments for why he's credible that I would recommend everybody – uh, Richard, the scholar Richard Bauckham makes a pretty good argument in his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. But the, 
but uh, Eusebius is is quoting uh, Papias about the authorship of the Gospels um, as if credible, but he makes a remark about how he was a person of low and of very low intelligence, and he his justification for this is that Papias of Heraclius was what's called a Achilleast, which is somebody who believes in the Achilleasm, which is the the thousand year reign, like this by the t by the fourth century but in eusebius oh, okay. he was a he was a contemporary of constantine and he was an eyewitness to the 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 council of nicaea and a lot of our information about that time comes from eusebius but he's he's it's kind of crapping on papius because he believed in a literal thousand year reign of christ on earth um because by the by his time that was laughable they just didn't have that concept of what christianity was they had they had bought into this idea of dying and going to heaven as a disembodied spirit um, because of the influence of Platonism and Gnosticism and um, Greco-Roman ideas. Um, and I think now you don't need the book. The book of Enoch doesn't actually, if you read the book of Enoch, it actually lends itself to that belief but it it what it provides is this overall background about the watchers and the, the nephilim and that kind of provides the uh you know once you get that and you read the the biblical narrative in that context it it's clearly about something else than what than what is readily apparent to us when we read it with the confirmation bias that it's about dying and going to heaven um so we didn't need the book of Enoch to know all that. We could just read the Bible um, without that without that bias that we confirm about going to heaven when we die. But now that we have the book of Enoch and we see that broader that broader backstory um, rooted in the culture of the ancient Near East, it, it, it's kind of a good check for how far we've drifted. Um, does that make sense? I think it does. I think that um, I'm trying to wrap my mind around all the things that you just said. Can you can you say that again more concisely? Um, sure. Um, we don't need the book of Enoch to tell us what the Bible teaches. Like everything, everything in the book of Enoch, you find in at least in abbreviated form in the bible itself and by that you mean everything necessary to understand the gospel and salvation and a relationship yes. with god okay right but also the stuff about the the you know the sons of god going into the daughter into the daughters of men and, and begetting the nephilim um well that's in that's in genesis 6 and there's there's other stuff that <laughs> your uh the ai running your zoom likes what i said apparently but um you know, you know, stuff about the Rephaim and the Anakim and the giants and, and all that stuff that certainly ties back, you know, Enoch helps us see that more clearly, but it's still there without Enoch. Right. Um, but also um, in the, we really didn't know all this stuff about the, the, uh, I'm kind of getting heading myself here. Um, there's there's been all kinds of other discoveries of in the in the uh, Near East, in the second half of the 19th century, early 20th century. Like uh, we 
you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh was unknown to the West. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was referenced in a lot of ancient and medieval writings, early medieval writings, um, but we didn't have it. Um, the Enuma Elish, the, the Babylonian creation myth about Marduk, the storm god, uh, slaying uh, uh, Yom, I think, uh, whatever whatever their dragon is. They've all, they, every, every pagan religion has a dragon that gets slain by a storm god. Um, the Enuma Elish provides that, uh, gives us information about the flood. Um, we've discovered the, a, a bunch of clay tablets telling us about the ziggurat of Edemanaki, which was the basis for the Tower of Babel story. Um, the West, we didn't know any of that. We didn't have any of that stuff until like the late 19th century. And, you know, each individual discovery didn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, but cumulative, because it, you know, it was discovered, academics still had to study it, figure out what it was, what it said, how it fit into the, the broader story. And then the, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 40s um, with uh, fragments of Enoch that that told us finally how important this actually was to this to the Second Temple period. Um, you know, academia has kind of been putting all this stuff together for the past 100, 150 years. And so it, it creates this picture of what of what the, the Bible is really about, the, the kind of the cultural conversation that it was a part of that is is totally alien to most christians today like it should completely transform our understanding of what christianity is um but we just you know you hear this this saying that if it's new in theology it's it's automatically wrong which on in principle it's true but but this isn't really new in theology it's it's very old we're just recovering it but what it really what, what what people really mean when they say that is that they're they're too wed to their traditions to change and to admit new information and to admit that like mm -hmm. hey maybe the church yeah. has had some stuff wrong for the past several centuries which like i understand roman catholics who who cling to that idea when Protestants do that, it totally baffles me because they've it's because it's only they, been around they, for a couple hundred years. Plus, yeah. you've you've already changed. <laughs> like, so why yeah, would you just update? Yeah. Your entire you, religion is predicated on not doing things the same way as those other guys. Right. right. But this is five hundred years old. John Calvin and Martin Luther couldn't be wrong. So we're gonna we're gonna go with that and shut out new information. And right. you know, and I've said this before. Um I you know what. One of the major disagreements I have with Dr. Michael Heiser, um, which I, hearing myself say it out loud sounds pompous and arrogant. How, how dare you? How dare you? He's Dr. Michael Heiser, and I'm not Dr. anybody. But um, but I think he, you know, obviously we owe him a huge debt of gratitude. But he saw the the, the divine council worldview as largely an add-on to. To mainstream market standard Christianity with its preoccupation with the afterlife, I see it as a replacement. I see it as a as the as an alternative to that. It's it's a different, really is a different Christianity. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree with you. I think <clears throat> having watched enough of his videos where he's interacting with other people and answering questions, I get the sense that 
Michael Heiser just didn't care about whether his idea was, look, I'm giving you information, do with it what you want to. I'm not here to fight with you about it. The guy wasn't into arguing. He wasn't into being right. Right. He was like, you don't think I'm right. I mean, it's been peer reviewed, but whatever. You you don't want to take what I've got to offer. I don't know what to tell you. Like the guy was almost comical to me in how he just like refused to get drug into fights. Whereas so many of the other, so many other theologians and, and, and biblical scholars, they want to fight about, you know, I'm right. My interpretation's the right one. Isaac didn't care. He was like, I could, I can't be bothered to fight with people. Like I, I've got well, more research to go do. I, I can understand <laughs> how he would, he would recognize that like what he's saying is controversial enough. Mm-hmm. Just leave it there and let people yeah. do with it what they will. And he's going to, he might, you know, he might describe credit himself or or alienate people unnecessarily if he if he's contentious about it but he, whenever he talks about he seems sincere when he talked about people dying and going to heaven and and as disembodied spirits becoming part of the divine council so i don't i don't think he was well i mean consciously i i think that's a that i think that part that he's talking about there it's kind of hard to i think that's a tough one to reconcile also it's kind of like the catch 22 we ran into with your your nicodemus story last week right with you know jesus saying no one's been to heaven except he comes from heaven and then we just led with elijah and enoch ascended right like that's a weird thing to there's one side's being more um less literal than the other, or they're trying to make a different point and they're not meant to be at odds. And that's a, that's a human problem that we have. Right. And I think that same thing with that quote, it's that line from Paul when he, you know, don't, you know, well, you're going to judge, you'll be gods and you're going to, or didn't Jesus say you're gods? Jesus said, uh, he quoted Psalm 82, which is a major divine counsel passage. Um, if, if it said you are God's to whom the word of God came, how much more the one he has set apart as a very own. So there's Um, that. And then there's Paul saying, don't you know, you'll, you'll judge angels. Right. Right. So it's, it's hard to reconcile those. Like, I I think where, where, where Heiser was, is you know, how are you going to judge something that's in a different plane of existence from you? If, if heaven's a different place, how are people, on earth going to judge those things right like that doesn't make sense well and also no, by the nothing way about, it's fair nothing to point about out that heiser heiser had zero interest in trying to interpret or understand the end times yeah back, hey, that's back another... to not being able to be bothered he 100 couldn't be bothered about that he was like every version that i've heard has a flaw so like whatever like, well, we'll figure it out when we're dead that's <laughs> that's another just you know quibble i have with them but nothing about anything you just said entails disembodied humans going to heaven no all of that has to do with when the messiah returns and like even like reading the book of enoch you know this this judgment of the nations that happens it's when the son of man returns and when the and it also talks about when the the watchers will be freed from the abyss and stand judgment for what they did um but this but is I, all happening again, on it, earth. I think so much of this is you mentioned it earlier is there's, there's confirmation bias in this, right? Like there's everybody goes into this, into this, this, this reading with a preconceived notion and that colors the way you interpret the language and, and, and what's intended to be taken from it. I, I'm with you, by the way, it sounds like I'm arguing with you. I'm with you on the concept of heaven, uh, but I do understand where people are, you know, 
I'm not saying I understand how they got there because they're wrong. I'm saying I, I get how easy it is for people that were taught as children that, you know, you're going to get wings and go become an angel and all that kind of stuff. Once you have that perspective, I see it all over in the Bible where you could misinterpret a lot of things. And it's comforting every time you lose a grandmother or a child or, you know, your mom uh, at at a young age and your mom's watching over you today, like right now. 100%. The disembodied spirit is still in your life and still guiding you. Yeah, which ironically is the is the attack that so many atheists make, right? That religion is just an attempt to to reconcile the unknown and and give and make people feel comfortable and placate the masses, right? So it's kind of funny, Dre, to your point that 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 peaceful thing about you know grandma's not gone, um, you know that it 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 is more comforting to a certain degree. I mean, I think that gets. It gets weaponized on the other side. Yeah, and I, also. I'm certainly sympathetic to that, but you know, it it doesn't justify hijacking Christianity and kind of fitting it to purpose um, to make it teach things that it just frankly doesn't teach. Well, that's um, but that that's an intent thing. Do you think? Do you think that 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 misunderstanding was was maliciously designed? No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't. I don't think any. But I don't. I don't think anybody deliberately distorted it, except for the fact that, I mean, one of the major features that comes out of the Divine Council worldview is the fact that we're at war with malevolent spiritual forces who hate humanity and they want to derail the church, because as long as the church is unsuccessful, um, they they win. They're just mm-hmm. biding time. And so if they can get us to believe things that just aren't taught in the Bible and kind of you know, hamstring us and, and, and keep us from being effective. Um, you know, that, that's the thing that we, that I'm, I'm pushing back against because we, we, we have to get it right. Or, and, you know, there's this, there's this assumption that, well, God would never let his church go astray. And, and since we've been doing it for so long this way, that that must be what God wants us to do. I didn't say that anywhere. Um, fact that, you know, you have, uh, you know, in, the book of Acts, when Paul leaves Ephesus, he's weeping because he says he knows that savage wolves will rise up from among them and 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 lead them astray. And you have all these warnings against broad paths and wide gates and false prophets and false teachers. And um, just as there were false prophets among the people, so there will be false teachers among you who would secretly introduce destructive heresies. They will make a business out of you with, uh, with uh, stories they made up. Um, so we should, didn't Jesus have some cautionary note about beware of the false prophets? Yeah, absolutely. And that, in the Olivet discourse, when he was, he was telling them that when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, you're going to, there's going to be all these people who are going to rise up saying I'm the Messiah or I'm a prophet. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to them. When, when the Messiah comes, you'll, you won't have to suss it out. You'll see it happening. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, so yeah, we should, we should expect people out people trying to deceive us just there's no security in the herd you can't just you can't just look to the number of people who agree with you and and think that well i'm i must be okay you have to throw out everything jesus and the apostles taught to base your security on that now it doesn't necessarily mean automatically if it if a lot of people believe it it's wrong but we we shouldn't just look to tradition and consensus as an automatic security for our beliefs um and so um where's i going to that um 
yeah so the spiritual warfare is a thing and i think all of this tangent was <clears throat> i was trying to get you to concisely explain why having the book of enoch was important um so, interesting in, in enoch toward the end of the of the first one uh the first book um book of the watchers yeah he talks about just how the <clears throat> watchers defile men um and and turn against animals and make humans do weird things with you know with each other and animals and and whatnot and then he uses a term that's used in the new testament he calls the watchers or these angels are lawless ones and then in second thessalonians paul uh identifies the antichrist as the lawless one it's kind of interesting language to me that that paul hmm. would 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 use enoch language when nowhere else does it does it say this so once again, we have a New Testament passage. We have, we have, a, that we have an does, apostle that's just pulling that, out that Enoch references yeah. an, an Enoch language that's not referenced in the Old Testament. So I, just, I, mean, I never picked up on that one, Dre. That's an interesting catch. Is that the only time lawless ones used in the Bible? Did you look? I I looked. I didn't. I didn't see it. Interesting. Um. Or maybe it's just because it's so prominent in Second Thessalonians that Paul would say that, and it's talking Antichrist that right. any website doesn't really doesn't really bother with. So before for Enoch to call angels who defile men and turn them from God, and then this Antichrist figure is going to show up and do the the same type thing, uh, probably some kind of herald of an angel, and for Enoch to call the walls one and Paul to pick up on that language and use it. So if he is he using something because everyone's familiar with? with with these writings or is he using it because it's you know scripture yeah and i uh in the chat earlier today i sent you guys an excerpt from a, a paper called uh on the origin of watchers um right there's a full name that i'm the full name matters. I forgot what it, what it was. On the origin of Watchers, a comparative study of the antediluvian wisdom and Mesopotamian and Jewish traditions by a guy named Amar Anus, published in 2010. Um, he basically compares, there's there's a uh, ancient Near East, there's, there's a Mesopotamian story about uh, these, these beings called Apkalus, who descended to uh give this wisdom to men before the flood and uh the flood happened and there's there's various stories about why the flood happened and what what happened to the apkalus um apkalus means sages um sage s-a-g-e sages like a, a wise person and they're they're kind of they're they're mostly seen as benevolent um and they're 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 credited with the the pre-flood civilization like they just they brought all of these these civilization building um knowledge and wisdom and and uh they kind of looked back on this time fondly and then the king the 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 kings of mesopotamia they their claim to kingship was based on uh well i'm we're related to these pre-flood beings the apkalus um and there are there were seven apkalus before the flood and then there were who were fully divine and then four apkalus after the flood who were partially human partially divine um and these are in the sumerian clay tablets right right okay. um 
and there's also he also mentions the uh there's a sumerian list of of pre-flood kings kings that and it, it's like a few of them, and but it, it spanned like thirty four thousand years or twenty five thousand years. Yeah. So it's kind of so twenty five thousand. Correct. Yes, you got that right. So, but the but the seventh of these ten kings um, was special. He was taken into heaven and given heavenly wisdom, um, and so there's a. Uh, there's a parallel there to e to the figure of Enoch in the Bible. There's ten generations from Adam to to Noah. Um, Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Seventh. Um, oh, I see. I, it took me that long to understand where you were going right. with that. Okay, I yeah. get it. So you're you're suggesting that these kings were just the original direct descendants of Adam or well or, or the, the predecessors to Noah. The, and the argument that Doctor. Anus is is making is that he's claiming that the 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 ten patriarchs from Adam to Noah were patterned off of these Sumerian kings. He's not he's not writing as a believer. He's just he's writing as an academic. So he's just he's and, he's just showing that this you can overlay these and they they line up really well. Well, his thesis is that much of the 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 book of Genesis, much of the Bible, and the book mm -hmm. of Enoch is a it's it's an in, basically the Babylonians saw the Apkalus, the sages, as the source of their. They celebrated them as the the source of their success as king as a as an empire. Mm -hmm. um, the the magi that Daniel studied with were they were privy to this 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 occult wisdom that the Apkalus gave, and Daniel also was privy to it as as uh, somebody trained in that. Um, but what the what the Babylonians celebrated as the source of their wisdom and civilization, the Bible and the Book of Enoch, they invert it and and see it see it as a source of corruption. Um, and so, um, which, which would lay pretty pretty nicely if if uh, if I mean you would think that whoever is part of the nations would think they are the good guy, and. We we've had that conversation. Nobody thinks they're the bad guy, right? Yeah. Well, but there's there's also it's they predominantly see see the Apkalus as as a source of wisdom, but there's also there's certain sources that see them as demonic figures and associate them with witchcraft. So you you, you could see how the Book of Enoch kind of builds on that. Like it's not a total like you know they're they're not. They're not all of one mind about this, but predominantly they see it as good. And so when you, you know the the term Babylon and its use in the Bible, it, it's not just this empire. It's it's it connotes all things um, that are not occult, holy or not divine. Occult, yeah, occult and corrupting yeah. these malevolent spiritual forces corrupting mankind. Um, and so that's you know. In, you know, and Babylon is a huge, uh, you know, Aleister Crowley was obsessed with Babylon. He, uh, you know, thought he thought it was the greatest thing ever and saw the uh, the horror of Babylon and Revelation as well. The hanging a, gardens uh, are one of the seven <clears throat> seven wonders of the ancient world, right? Hanging gardens of Babylon. Purportedly, yeah. Um, there's debate over whether they 
existed or not, but um, man, it's a, it's a different topic. But the, but the point is that like all of this stuff is sort of in the cultural background already um, like this and Enoch kind of like synthesizes that at a, at a certain time. Um, but it's not, none of it's unique to Enoch, like the people of Jesus' time were certainly aware of the book of Enoch, but they weren't dependent on it for this it, as the sole source of this information it just it was just kind of a uh a one-stop shop for all of these other streams of of thought and teaching but they, they but it was already kind of in the air already um which would explain why it's referenced so much in the new testament yet they didn't regard it as canonical um and so just to kind of reiterate my earlier point like i, I don't I, I'm not that puzzled about why it was why it was lost, but its rediscovery should awaken us to the fact that we've 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 been missing the, kind of the main plot of the Bible all this time. We've thought it was about one thing; it's about something else entirely. And is, is its rediscovery divine <laughs> intervention? Because um, we did lose the plot for so long, and then now, hey, by the way, there was this there's this thing there's there's the underpinning of of the culture at the time and now you can understand what we we're saying in the bible and what you're saying now about the bible is not correct so why don't you take the culture and figure it out by popping this book into existence today could be divine inter inter intervention it's like um, i'm having the visual of the i forget the guy's name the the south african comedian the in internet guy where he's like that's <laughs> right that's right there uh um so yeah like i wouldn't i wouldn't claim to know it's divine in intervention but i i i also think if it's God's, not it's it's highly coincidental right well i i think god is has is actively concerned with his church and so i would i would have a hard time saying it's not divine intervention i just don't want to claim to know exactly what god is up to as if i'm i'm privy to that but yeah. in I, in, I would find that to be a good ironic circle if, if it was divine intervention that a book that was considered heretical and borderline heretical and non-canonical was important enough that it had to be rediscovered so that the modern church could get back on track. That's a good, it's a good uh, little pretzel action there. I don't disagree by the way, but it, sorry, Dre, I cut you off. It, it's fun. Yeah. In 91, there was, <clears throat> after the Gulf War, the first one with, with Daddy Bush, there was a big discovery in Babylon. Uh, city stuff, tons of tablets, mm -hmm. lots of things to look at, and then they couldn't get it secure because of so many bandits and uh, just the lawlessness of that area and the excavation had to be stopped because it kept getting destroyed. And then... Uh, there was a scholar that said hey, it's better to just keep it buried until it's it's safe to go look at that again. And then I, I fear, or the scholars fear, that after uh, Iraq War number two, that we we actually ruined it all. And there's a bunch of stuff that's undiscovered that could have shed light on much of the culture uh, from from Babylon. That's from heartbreaking. Space. Yeah. Wouldn't it be awesome if they discovered uh, like the Book of the Wars of the Lord and some clay pot tomorrow or the book of Jashar or the uh, like all these books that the Anything. Bible references yeah. like it. 
Like it, I mean, it's it's pretty cool the Nog Hobbity discovery. So because the only thing you had on Gnostics before was Irony is blowing their ass up, right? So then so then they got to speak for themselves. The Gnostics did because all of their writings became discovered and discoverable, and then you got to see you know what Irony's was actually talking about. Why why he was so angry? Yeah, why he was so angry? <laughs> What's uh? Yeah. And you got a guy like like Marcion who was who was part of kind of a, a bishop and he was going to kind of make some moves, but then uh, he was so Gnostic that eventually he, he had a falling out and was gone. But now because his writings were so heretical, they're all destroyed. We don't even know what Marcion's take was except by some of his enemies that, that talk shit about it. And that's too bad. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's a parallel to our current climate. Because Marcion was a big Paul fan. Our, our current culture here in, well, in the u.s where we're you know knocking down statues and you know destroying things and it's it, it, it without the context it's important you, you need that history even if it was bad so that you right. can understand what happened and you can have that that point of view because otherwise the story gets twisted right and like having those original gnostic writings would be good so we could understand specifically what craziness they were saying so that when somebody says it today and they go, hey, I just had a revelation. And we're like, hey, that's a good idea. We don't realize it was the same shit that they brought up a couple thousand right. years ago that wasn't good, right? Like it would be better to have it and, and have it as a cautionary note versus it being deleted and not having it so we could have that backstop. Well, it's just fascinating how the how you know the early Christian church had to fight through all of these different ideas and you know, mm -hmm. to, to get us to where we are today, whether that's, we're right or not, you know, as of today, because point. as Brian would say, you know, we, we've kind of lost the way that, and it took a, it, it took a book like Enoch in that, in, in that era to kind of, kind of bring up what the underpinning culture of the day was. And if, and without, without these, without these Gnostic writings that, I mean, we, we kind of get an air of culture and what the fight was really about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I think that's of, a great point. Also, you just said, Dre, like, you know, we in in this modern in today's era, you know, whether you're born into the church and you're know, raised as a Christian or you're, you know, you come to it later in life, we're we're you know, you had the benefit of all of the the early church fathers and all of the hard work they did to weed through the the theories and the theologies and whatever, right? Because a lot of people, you know, they, they probably just take it for granted. You know, this is the way it is. You believe this, you believe that, you know, say these prayers, do these things. Well, why? You know, how, right. when, where, <laughs> right? Like all of those things that had to happen to get to, you know, today's version of theology for right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, for better, for worse, to your point, um, you know, even if some of it's wrong, as Brian pointed out, or, or you know, misunderstood or, or, whatever there was still iterative steps to get there and it's, it's right. i mean we, we just take he, that for granted here we are in 2024 and we we have an idea of what it's like to be an american right like you imagine 1893 in south carolina somewhere and you're like what i dig the king what are you, what are you talking about <laughs> right? right like why why are we wait what, what are we doing what, right, what's, we, what's, what's a big deal up? Yeah. Why are we at war? Fuck that. Yeah. I, we were comfortable yeah. under that. I, or imagine whole... being in like some little sliver out in the middle of nowhere and you didn't even know it was going on. Like imagine if, you know, we're off topic a little bit, but imagine being like some early pioneer 
and it's 1779. And you have no idea that a, that a war happened because you're on like some remote mountain in like Idaho. Cause you right. ventured so far out with your little right. family or whatever, little, right? Little trapper out there. And, yeah. And you're yeah, out yeah. there wearing a freaking beaver on your head and running trying, around trying to get along like, with, you're uh, fighting with, with the, the Indians and stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're barely surviving. And then you're like, you think you're British. It's like, you come into some big town and you say something, they're like, bro, you ain't, we're not British. And you're like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but, so I, I just imagine that's what it's like for the apostles, right? As they're running around trying mm-hmm. to spread this good news. You know, I can imagine Peter going to this town. They're like, the Messiah did what? Wait, when? What are you talking about? Yeah. Hell no. Get out of here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Messiah hasn't come yet. And that's what, what Peter's like. Saying. Here I go again. Right. Yeah. Get my get you my know. pen out. And I mean, more letters. I mean, Paul had all those troubles. That's why he had to go back and write letters back to them right. because he had he had competition. So, yeah. I mean, some scholars believe it's the actual apostles that was competition. Others believe there was just people that were also of the time that had their own interpretation of what right. that was. So right. Paul had to fight through yeah. these so-called super apostles, whoever the fuck they were. Right. And just say, Hey, I don't, I don't know what they're talking about, but this is, this is, this is the truth. And I, I brought this to you. Why would you, why would you go off course of what I said? So I can, I mean, all that, all that fighting for us to, you know, later in the Renaissance have one more fight, right? Like it's kind of, kind of interesting thing. Yeah, huh? You know, is, these, these sure. 1500 year cycles. Hmm. Tell me how many of Paul's letters don't sound like he starts it off with her, my last email. (laughs) I can't believe what I just got told. I feel like you guys just said a whole lot and I'm not sure where to jump in. But now you know uh, how we feel whenever you talk ever. (laughs) Sorry. No, I think I'm not sorry. This is, this is, I mean, it's, I think it's a natural kind of just, you know, moving through this. I don't know where we are now. I think we're well. Just one more thing I wanted to point out. Um, Did we answer all of Corey's questions? There's there's one more. I was gonna I was gonna wrap up on Enoch and then get to it. But um, hopefully she's still listening. She's like, "You guys suck. I'm out." <laughs> um, so the recurring pattern in in the Old Testament is uh, like they're you know, they go into the promised land or Joshua, they're faithful. Then in judges, the, the whole point is, I mean, well, God is supposed to be their King. They have the law. They're supposed to follow that. They've agreed to, that's the covenant. They keep breaking it. They keep, they keep falling into apostasy. And the book of judges is this kind of description of how, of all the depravities that they fell into. Um, and it repeats for I think four times. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did did what was right in their own eyes. Like God was supposed to be their king, but it's setting the stage for why they need a, a human king. And then so all that stuff happens. And then it you get Ruth and it sets the stage for David. And then in First Samuel, you have them realizing their need for a king, but for the wrong reasons. Gives them Saul, that goes bad. Then he gets they get David. Um, and it's good for under him and Solomon, but like, they just keep falling into this cycle of, of faithfulness, apostasy, bad stuff happens. Um, they keep just not getting it. And then the, the, and it's this recurring cycle that concludes with exile and then they return and it's, it's kind of on a sad note. Like they still didn't, they still didn't get it. Um, Yet in the, 
I think we're in that same pattern in the church, except we don't have this kind of centralized, you know, we don't have a centralized priesthood or or prophets that come to us that God's that God speaks through to set us back on course. And we all interpret events differently. Um, so, but we, you know, Paul says that these things happen and were written down for our benefit. Um, when he's he's talking specifically about the unfaithfulness and apostasies of the Israelites, yet we have this idea that because it's traditional, we've been doing it for so many centuries, it can't be wrong. God would never let us go mm -hmm. astray. Um, that's clearly not the lesson you get from reading the Bible. Um, that's, so it that's, went astray that's a lot. Super fair point. Yeah, and they, that's that's essentially the whole the whole Bible is about being off target and going astray right right um but the jews were really good about going astray yeah but they don't have a monopoly on that that's no that's no human I mean, just thing, the, right? the bible was about the jews is my only point like right. they did it yeah. a, a bunch and we've done it a bunch since yeah i i know yeah. you meant that i just know we have to say that or eh, somebody's gonna let somebody cancel of, i don't care of, of anti-semitism and uh but yeah so the bottom line is We've lost the plot. That shouldn't be surprising, but we can find the plot again. I mean, we've it, it sounds hard that we could ever recover, but we follow a Messiah who walks on water and raises the dead and calls us to do the same. But um, anyway, that's all I got. I That'd be sweet because I'm black and I don't swim very well. Walking on water would be a big help for you. Huh? That'd be dope. <laughs> yeah, well, you're in luck. Um, I mean, we have things like piers now, which is where I was in San Clemente today. Hey. I walked on water that way. Technology. Thank you, Upkalu. I mean, is all technology bad? <laughs> I just, um, I thank the Upkalu. Thank you. Right. Well, it's always a it's always a trade off, though. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that whenever I was reading, because I, like I said, I was reading that Irenaeus today, and um, I noticed that in the opening of it, he mentions uh, it, the language that he's using. It talks about uh, the Garden of Eden, and the the word that he used is shoot. I'm at to I'm gonna control F it real fast again to try to get there. Um, Irenaeus was something else, man. Yeah, but he's he's he uses fun. the word paradisum, right? For paradise, right. right? But the word is garden, right? Yeah, and and it's funny to think about it in those terms because if we know Eden was perfection, right? That was God's view of perfection. But like, it got me going down the rabbit hole of, well, if a garden is perfection. Like a city is the opposite of that, right? Like, like these big cities, technology and all of that is wildly the opposite of paradise. Well, and then you get hang, hang on real real quick. So you get into those conversations where you know the, the watchers were trading. This is an Enoch, but the watchers were trading technology, right? Um, and that was ostensibly what was going on in at the Tower of Babel, also, and it kind of. It kind of almost is like, you know, if we're going through this whole evolution and we're, you know, mankind is chasing its 
own tale with regards to technology. And, you know, here we are using all of the technology available to us to do this podcast. Um, but when the great reset happens, right, the real reset, we're going to go back to a garden. You don't mean that the World Economic Forum's great no, reset. I mean, or... I mean the the gotcha. apocalypse, right? The... Well, which is which is why I tried to point out uh, when we talked about Cain uh, and his lineage. Isn't it interesting that it's Cain's descendants that created the city? It's Cain's descendants that made all the the evil capitalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I agree with your character, your the contrast between a garden and a city that that the the contrast was between a garden and a wilderness, like like a cultivated an area that's cultivated by man. So you're um, suggesting order versus purpose. chaos. Yeah, not which uh, is what the city is. Well, but I, mean, I think one, you agree. One would argue but, but a well designed city is order. But I think you're but I think cultivated you're partially, by a man. I think you're partially correct, though. Like, I think that I don't think that technology is the one of the things the Watchers did to corrupt us was give us technology. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's that the technology that well, some of it was was for intrinsically bad purpose. But I don't I don't know that technology is intrinsically bad. It's just that we're not ready for it yet. Um, like, it's, or we weren't then. Or we aren't now, well, and we're, we're not now. We're yeah. really like, and and I've you guys have heard me harp on this, but um, we haven't really adapted to like radio and television and movies yet. We think we have because these are kind of static features of our lives before we were even born. But when you consider when you consider what a civilization is, um, the the soul of a civilization is its story. Um, you have you have a single shared narrative that defines you as a culture and a nation. Um, Christianity used to be the major component of our story. And we, you know, we up until like five minutes ago, churches were the natural town hall, like town center. People would gather there once a week. They'd we punctuate our our year by gathering at certain in certain seasons to hear the story. Even if you didn't believe it, you, everybody still kind of took that for granted as the source of their values, and we all kind of, uh, you know, that, that's that's how civilizations are made. Every, every civilization has its national epic that defines it, in, including us. With the advent of mass communication, though, um, and also just one more point, parents were usually were were the medium of culture that's how you learned about the world it's how you got your values your story you learned about music and art and history and all that stuff predominantly from your parents with the ad outsourced mm -hmm. yeah with the with the advent of mass media uh radios records uh movies and television now the the internet and streaming um now all of a sudden you're getting people are they're you didn't have any such thing as teen culture until like the the early mid 20th century because it was because of automobiles but also because of mat because of mass media and so or, now or, all of a sudden more because of the 19th amendment um yeah the uh women's stuff it's a hot take it's a hot take <laughs> well that's a different topic it's well it's no certainly... but I, I, it, it's so I, i'm agreeing with you to a degree but i think the inflection point was women going into the workforce at, at as a, as a standard because well, that took but, mothers away from the home 
which then didn't allow the moms to be that gatekeeper for those kids. That teen culture took off at an exponential rate when well, we had latchkey kids, right? But they got a but that they got a culture that told them that's that was to be desired. Agreed. Yeah. Um, because of mass media and and basically like whereas before you had a, every civilization had its story. Now with mass media, you've got all like a million little pop-up civilizations happening right under our noses. Yeah. And so everybody, and that's why you have so many different people with different values and different identities and, and everybody is, you know, we don't really have a, a shared identity as Americans and certainly not as Christians. Uh, Cause you know, we've got, you know, I got star Wars and captain America and transformers and some other pop culture yeah, stuff back there. San Antonio Spurs and guitars. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Like it's, it, but, but, um, but some of that is just, I mean, some of that is, I get what you're saying at a top level, but at the lower level, I mean, that's just individuality, right? Well, yeah, but we have so many, so many different iterations of, of individuality that like it used, like our, our central occupation as humans is telling stories. Um, that's kind of what we all, you know, we get off work and we come home and we sit in front of the TV and we consume stories. Um, it's actually mm -hmm. always been that way, except we did it in community. We we gathered around the campfire and or in the living room, and and it was it was something that that was the activity that held us together as families and as communities and and, and tribes and civilizations. Telling those stories, it was a community event. Now it's a solitary event, and mm -hmm. it isolates us. I see that. I see your point. Um, yeah, you and thinking about it, like. Like what was it? Was it Eisenhower with his fireside chats? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Roosevelt. A, Roosevelt. Thank yeah. you. Roos. That's a good example. Roosevelt. Um, <laughs> Roosevelt. The FDR, the commie one. <laughs> but commie Roosevelt. For, for every technology we, for every technology we develop to make something easier, like telling stories or getting from A to B, um, whatever human capacity we had that was fulfilling that role it atrophies and we've you know we're filling our lives with these kinds of technologies that are and we we haven't really come to terms with how they're changing us um i mean we can just sit here and point out the, all the negative effects of the internet on kids who grew up with it but we don't feel it as as acutely because we kind of it it didn't come around until we were adults but um but kids who grew up with it like, like they have no idea what it's like to Right. Like watching stranger things to like riding around on your bike and, um, you know, and I'm just, so yeah, I, I think that tying this back to the book of Enoch, um, yeah, uh, divine beings giving us technology and, and secrets. It's not, it's not because they love us. It's not because they want to help us. It, it weakens us, um, in a lot of ways. Now, after, jesus returns and the redemption occurs and we're perfected then we can have technology without being corrupted by it but we're not we're not there yet and i think we're i think i think we're heading toward a really bad place for human civilization i think we're we're we can already see how tyrants are taking control of it um and enslaving us by it but that's probably a whole other podcast uh I probably I'm, I'm, I, I think and i'm I, done i'm with concerned with that i'm concerned now about the uh the outcry when all of the the uh zillennials hear that there won't be an internet in heaven or 
in the afterlife. Uh, there right? there like, might be. There might be. <laughs> There's not going to be a, a, a heaven in the afterlife. So do you say, are, are you familiar with the uh, with the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Jesus Christ Superstar? Of course, I am. So, so I watched right, it at your uh, house. After, or I watched it on the after, beach with you. That's right. They, well, the the John Legend version. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's all right. But uh, so, uh, right when Jesus gets sentenced to death. Judas had already killed himself, but then he he comes back in an almost I told you so fashion. Like what? Do you, like bro, now you're about to die. So what? What is happening? So the whole the whole song, Jesus Christ Superstar, are you what they what they say you are? That's like the big finale. But it's interesting we talked about like uh, communication and the way to propagate it. So it's funny that, that Tim Rice used those lyrics, right? He said, uh, uh. You'd have managed better if you had a plan. Uh, uh, I don't know why you chose such a backwards time in such a strange land. Uh, if you had it today, you would have reached the whole nation because Israel in 4 BC had no mass communication. <laughs> so it's kind of like, what, like, what are you doing here? Like, no, nobody. Why did you pick you. The, the Stone Age you're, to do this? Right, you're about to die, <laughs> and nobody has your message. It's, it's as if. Uh, Judas doesn't realize that the that the that his words going to be written. It's going to be you know passed on forever, forever yeah. and ever. So he and, basically, because because later he just starts talking about like, do you even know what you sacrifice? Like, what are you what are you doing? You're if you're who you say you are, why do you sacrifice like in in this way? And then he then he asks him about uh, uh Buddha. Is he where you were at? Uh, is he where you are? Could Muhammad move a mountain, or was that just PR? <laughs> so like, so basically, he's like hey, all these other dudes over the times have, have been you know called prophets and god what what makes you different jesus and it's kind of an interesting thing we talked about the the four bc mass communication kind of maybe think yeah, about that whole little tirade that, that brian just went on and so you know in the early 70s you know i think i think church guys were already thinking that same thing uh, along those lines and in you know, the big popular musical Sang by the lead singer of Deep Purple, would would come out and and, mm. uh, and and bust that out. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, should we uh, tackle Corey's other question? And sure, yeah, let's do it. Okay, what did she ask? Listen all the way through, Corey. This is why. This is your reward for listening all the way through. She asked, "How do y'all feel about the people's ages in the Old Testament? Do you think they really lived to be hundreds of years old, or do you think the ages listed mean something else?" So that's, that's an interesting question, and uh, I'm only pointing out that I just talked about Arrhenius and his uh, intense castigation of those that thought the numbers weren't real. So there's that to start yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you guys... Well, isn't there a point in Genesis where it actually gets dialed back? Yeah. He yeah, mentions like, okay, no one's going to live past 120 now. You guys are yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, and it was after the... Actually, the it was right before well it in genesis 6 that you know the passage we always go to um um men men began to multiply in those days and daughters were born of them the sons of god saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took with them as wives any of whom they chose then the lord god might said my spirit will not strive with man for he is forever for he is mortal his days will be 120 years now whether that means some people read that to mean the human lifespan is going to be limited to 120 years or in 120 years, I'm going to flood the earth. Um, so no one's lived past 120 cents. Well, I'm it's funny. That's it, usually like the, that's, that's the, usually the cutoff. It, the people that go over a century, you know, they can kind of, but you know, 
Well, what's funny is that the example that I was going to use to answer your question, uh, Abraham says he lived to 175. Um, hmm. But but um, like if you read that, mentioned that the just to kind of tie it all together, the the Sumerian kings list. There's these ten antediluvian kings that that kind of parallel the ten generations from Adam to Noah. After the flood, there's another 10 generations from Adam's son, Shem, to Abraham. Um, to answer Corey's question, I think I think they mean something else. I don't take it literally. Um, I don't think we're supposed to take it literally, despite what Irenaeus would say. Um, and the reason I'm I think- i about to get a I letter. To, yeah. <laughs> I, I have two reasons for thinking so. Uh, one- when Abraham died, uh, says he 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 lived a long life. Uh, he lived to a good old age and uh, died an old man full of years. Um, and he was 175, which sounds like yeah, yeah that was a good run, 175. Um, he certainly had, no vaccines. Yeah, he certainly lived uh, you know to a to a good old age. But if you compare, no fluoride in the water, right? If, if you compare his lifespan of 175 with his 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 ancestors um it's it's like it's like exponentially shorter yeah he has like great great great, great like uh shem lived to like 500 years old uh his son was lived to like 403 um he had and according to the the genealogy in genesis 10 yeah it was genesis 10 no maybe no, it was genesis 11 um gives gives his his genealogy from shem to, to, leading to Terah to 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 abram um he had people who had known shem who were still alive when he died so comparatively speaking like if we're comparing his age his lifespan to his his ancestors wasn't that long at all um the biblical the, the writer certainly could see the numbers he wrote them um so what he didn't see but didn't see that as a contradiction so i think it, it means something other than what we think it means and another reason for thinking that is you have these two episodes where um abram and sarai go to egypt and he's afraid that pharaoh is going to see her and like kill him because she's so she's hot. A smoke show right. and she's like 100 and, or something at this point yeah. well she's 65 then yeah but then it happens again with king uh abimelech hey i've um, seen angela bassett she's a smoke show at 65 so and this in this episode she was like late 70s early 80s yeah and so i mean audrey kinda... hepburn was pretty attractive up and like as an as an older lady but but she's I not gonna murder murder her husband yeah. to take her as your own <laughs> <laughs> right and yeah. so i i don't think those ages mean what we read them as being I, just yeah. just at the face value of the numbers so Dre, what i'm saying say, that you? even even methuselah is a uh is a polemic you know basically talking about those kings being so old and that they purposely cut him off before a thousand to show that people don't live to be a thousand. So your Kings are bullshit. Huh? That's an that's interesting, interesting, uh, like, Hey, he only, the, the oldest dude, no, nah, no, nah. 
he only he only lived 900 plus <laughs> that all that's it yeah. so but also he was supposed to be the the kickoff for the flood as well so that that the same writer i saw that, that said that it was polemic also said that you know enoch's the last dude to actually know adam and then as mm-hmm. as soon as he died boom it's time to go in fact his son lemek died before methuselah did and yeah. Noah's like, oh, granddad just died. I guess I guess it's time to get in the shelter. The the the, the old guard is gone. Yeah. So Dre, do you take it so, literal or what? Do I? Um Yeah. I mean, I don't I, I don't I don't know that it matters. I just I just think that uh if if you come from a from a, a garden of Eden and everything is kind of perfect and and then with the with the fall comes disease and pestilence and yeah. hunger then perhaps you know the, you know some, i mean some I, white living. I, I think there's some middle ground there right pure plants yeah i i, I think like brian said, maybe I, abraham's age is more more the, i think more the might standard be more true yeah maybe maybe you live the 200 year old i, you know, I you, come at it from a and i've said this before i i question the accuracy of timekeeping for the people that were this primitive. They were just really primitive people, right? And I, I question their ability to count years properly because you got fall seasons, you know, you think it's winter and then it gets warm again and you're like, oh, it's summertime. Oh, it's cold again. It's already been a year. Wow. It seems like it's only been a couple of months. Well, it's only been a couple of months, right? Like, I don't believe they had the 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 astronomical accuracy to know and be able to track um so that's that's one thing that i have that that's always stuck in my mind um i think the numbers mm-hmm. are fantastically long to make a point to the exactly what you were getting at dre that in the early days because disease wasn't as prevalent because of the fall etc cetera, etc cetera, men lived much 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 longer and so to make that point they made them hundreds of years longer than they actually live where you know, maybe they were 130, 140, 150, right? Um, I think there's some, you know, plausibility there. But also, like you said, I don't think it really matters, right? Like, I don't know that if, whether you're a literalist on this or not, I don't think that changes anything that really matters, like from a, you know, and I'm only saying that not to dismiss Corey's question to be hyper clear. I'm saying right. for those that are hearing this going, you guys are out of your mind. It says 900 and something. It was 900 and something. You're, you don't believe the word of God. I'm like, no, 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 no. Calm down. Pump the brakes, take a breath. Um, we're just getting into that space where some things are literal and some things aren't. And the things that aren't are trying to make a point. And I can't put myself in the mind of an ancient near Eastern person 4,000 years ago to know what the point was they were trying to make. And I'm sure to some of those people, it probably was really obvious what the message was that they were trying to make. And I just, I, by, I don't know what it is. By the time they, they wrote those though, they had really damn good timekeeping. So sure. there's, there's Mesopotamia, you know, mm-hmm. clay tablets to talk about, you know, the stars and the alignment. At and the that's time of the of... writing, but not at the time of the beginning of the oral tradition. I mean, right. So, so why if would your great great grandfather's yeah. been telling you that this dude lived to be nine hundred, and you're like, okay, I've heard the stories, and you're yeah. like, 
I but can, we're, we're I talking chart this stuff now. Six thousand years ago, they they had these things, and it was and it's kind of part of what in in a lot of the the uh, near ancient the ancient Near Eastern cultures they they talked about you know it's it's the Apkalu that actually told them how to keep time. It was the Anunnaki that taught them how to keep keep time. It's the Watchers that perhaps told them how the the stars and in time works. So I don't know. Hmm. About yeah, the but, about but the like keeping we talked time about thing. a couple of weeks ago, they didn't have a concept of zero, right? They didn't have a concept of infinity. Like there, there's certain apples and oranges. No, I mean it's the same thing. Like Dre's Dre's I mean, pushing back, saying like they had really good astronomy, and I'm and I'm I'm saying they didn't. I'm saying well, they had they had a semblance of it. They had really good astronomy in terms of timekeeping um in in the specific regard that we're talking about they didn't have a like a like an abstract metaphysical concept of nothing um because yeah the number zero hadn't been developed yet it didn't mean they couldn't count from one year to the to the other now i i will i will grant that there there is some when the biblical writers speak of a year you, you do have to question what, but according to what calendar because if you look at the, if you read the book of Daniel and you talk and you read about, you know, he, he has these prophecies about uh, how, you know, that involve the elapsement of, of years. And then he gives a breakdown and he, he gives you like how many days these, these years will be. It's clear he's using a, a 300, a 360 day lunar calendar there. Uh, the Torah establishes uh, a 12, a 12 month calendar of the year each each month starts with a new moon there's it's approximately 30 days between each new moon but that's not 500 years yeah off. that's a rounding error difference right <laughs> well I, i'm just i'm just my only point here is that the you know what constitutes a year is not always apparent. That's fair. Um, that's just so, one example. So what you're, you're, but now, what you're saying, hang, hang on, let me restate what you just well, said. Well, let me so let me finish this point. Just to, no, I just want to make sure I understand what you're trying to say. You're saying so okay. if you're if you're being a literalist, but you're working under the assumption he was using the wrong calendar, the number's still inaccurate, even though it might still be nine hundred and something. It's going to be nine hundred and sixty-four instead of nine hundred and seventy-eight. I, I wasn't. Like I wasn't that. relating that to this to that specific question. I was just I was just pointing out that. Their, their conventions of timekeeping weren't like you can't just read it and assume they're using a modern day, you know, 365 day and it, solar. And it might have been even calendar. different antediluvian. Right. right. And and right. they and they probably had a separate solar agricultural civil calendar from their religious calendar, just because it would wreak havoc with the seasons, just using a, a lunar calendar. But their their holy days were tied to the uh, 360 day lunar calendar. And there, there are a lot of cult, ancient cultures that did that. That is that why Easter is on a, a different month sometimes? Yeah, that's exactly why. Because um, it follows the solstice, not the, right. or the vernal equinox, one of the two. Yeah, it's the vernal, the, in the, in the West, it's the first Sunday after the vernal equinox, I think. In the uh -huh. East, it's the first Sunday after Passover. After Passover. Hope that helped Corey. <laughs> yeah but good questions like i mean yeah. those are yeah that's Keep the kind coming. of stuff that we sit and wring our hands over because it's fun to ponder things that we couldn't possibly know the answer to but we're going to have an opinion but she did ask 
what do you think? Not right. what you know. Because right. I don't know. I know shit about fuck. So, <laughs> Well, she did just ask if people don't go to heaven, where did Enoch and Elijah go and God took them? Oh. So that was not a, there was no qualification about that. Yeah. But oh. the second one was how, how do you feel and yeah. do you right. think? Which I do know the answers to those because I know how Because if feel. I don't, no one else is going to know how I, I know feel. How, I know how I feel and think, but... <laughs> I mean, you're entitled to be wrong too. So, you know. Me, no, I'm not. Right. Okay. I see. I He's see. just entitled. So, did we beat well, up Enoch enough? I think so. Yeah. I think we covered. I mean, I I feel like there's a lot more I left out, but. Um, I'm but sure we'll we'll bring I'm it up gonna, again. Right. But I'm sure maybe we'll get some comments at the, at the bottom of this one and uh, you'll you'll get to answer some of those as well. Corey or anybody else listening who's still here, um, if you have any questions about the Book of Enoch that we didn't answer, feel free to put them in the comment field. Yeah, for sure. Um, we are, we're at 106 subscribers now, so since last week we've gained six. Six new dudes. That's what's up. Dudettes coming in. Coming in hot! And uh, so, fun times. Mm. Um, so, if you like what you see, go ahead and smash that like button. And uh, share the show with your friends and see if they can smash some like buttons. It'll be fun. Smash fist. Smash it. Smash it. <laughs> he said smash fest. Nice. Uh, so, so with that, I will say stay enlightened, stay curious, and we will see you next week. God bless. <laughs>